the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You ever take credit for somebody else's amazing work? It leaves a raw taste in your mouth, doesn't it? Unless, of course, the person who did that amazing work wants you to take credit. Let's talk about that next. I think if we are brutally honest with one another, there's been a time or two where we've taken credit for something we didn't do. And it's left that mm, raw taste in our mouths as if we've done something wrong. Yet when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to being made right before God, the Lord Jesus himself says, I've done it. I'll let you take credit for it. That is imputed righteousness, and that is what's on the table today as we explore Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 together. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. If we are going to have an assured faith of a right standing before God, we must hold firmly to the doctrine of justification, biblically and clearly. Satan hates this doctrine. He has always raised up siege engines against it. Our own pride sometimes, if we are not careful, gets in the way of us, even as believers. He gets in the way of us holding on to as we should. The Holy Spirit brings forward Abraham here to our attention to confirm the truth of the gospel. And he says, in effect, in verse 1, that Abraham is our Father. So what was true in his case, since we are his sons by faith in Jesus Christ, is true in our case. That is the importance of having Abraham as our father. What was true of him is true of us, if he is truly our father. Now that means, of course, right off the bat, since Paul, Paul speaks to this Gentile congregation and speaks of Abraham being our father, already we are led higher than bloodlines to see the connection of ourselves to Abraham. It's not anything outward. It is not ceremonies. It is not blood. It is not faith in the promise, which is the very point Paul wants to make in this section. Look down at verse 11 of chapter 4. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. So this is the point Paul wants to make. And this is why the Holy Spirit has him bring Abraham forward. As it was with our father, so it is with his true son's and daughters. Turn with me for a little bit of confirmation on this to Galatians chapter 3. 
Because, beloved, unless we appreciate how important Abraham is for us as Christians, some of this may be lost on a few of us. Galatians 3, 8 and 9. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, or believing Abraham. Verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So right here at the outset, we are taught something very, very important. God's covenant of grace has been unified throughout all the ages. God has only ever had one people, those who embrace the promise by faith. For all of them, Abraham is, in a very real sense, their father. Now notice he says back in verse 1, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? That little phrase, pertaining to the flesh, or according to the flesh, is very important. Because it sets forth what Paul is going to talk about here. Basically, what he is saying here is, something our Lord Jesus said in John 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And it is weak, it is corrupt, and it is unable to please God. So what about Abraham's flesh? Did he obtain righteousness by obedience to God? Is his a different case? Was Abraham made righteous with God? Was he made to be at peace with God through circumcision? Or any other type of obedience in following God through all that area of the world by faith? No, that is exactly the opposite Paul wants to make here, that according to the flesh is not how Abraham was justified, but as we shall see, it is according to what God promised him and his faith in that promise. Now let's pick that up in verse 2, because Paul will bring this out for us. So what about Abraham, our father? How he was made right with God is the same for us. He says, for if Abraham were justified by works, and in Greek, this is a hypothetical phrase. Paul's not saying Abraham was justified by works because he was not. But if he were, and let's assume just for a second that, then Paul could say, He would have something of which to boast before God. He would have something to take credit for himself. Lord, do you remember that day I followed you and left all my family behind? Do you remember that day I offered Isaac on Mount Moriah? You see, if Abraham had something, however small, he could boast before God. But how could Abraham have anything to boast before God. In fact, how can anyone? Before God's holiness, we are an unclean thing. Beloved, we have nothing. Paul has already said boasting is excluded. And certainly none none of us have anything to boast about. 
The conclusion of verse 2 then, by implication, is since Abraham does not have anything to boast of before God, then he was not justified by works. He was not declared righteous before God on the basis of his obedience to God. Of any individual act of obedience, nothing like that at all. The reason Paul goes through this at some length is to humble our pride. We need to understand that pride is the vein of the human race. Remember, it, it lost the Jews their place in God's kingdom and covenant. Look over at Matthew 21, verse 43. These people didn't want to be confronted with their true condition when Jesus came. They did not want to confess their need of him, so they rejected the chief cornerstone. Matthew 21, 42. After the parable of the wicked husbandman, which clearly portrays the Jewish people and especially their leaders as always persecuting the prophets that God sent to them. He says in verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken away from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Why did they lose it? They stumbled at that stumbling stone. They stumbled over their own pride, saying, We must have something that counts before God. So this is why Paul continues to insist on this point so strongly, so that we will not follow the Jews' bad example, so that our pride will be humbled in the dust before God's sovereign mercy to us as guilty sinners. And so we will esteem the gift of His righteousness to us in Christ as we ought to. You see, pride destroyed the Jews. Pride destroys religionists of all stripes. And it will destroy us unless we look away from ourselves. Any good we think we have, any reason why we think God may have come to us because I did this for Him. God maybe has shown me Jesus because I did this. Or maybe, look how godly a life I have led since I became a Christian. No, we have to look away from all of these things and look to what God promises and what He has given us in His Son. We are righteous before Him solely on the basis of Jesus' obedience and Jesus' blood and righteousness to cleanse us. And He alone is our only boast. Notice in verse 3, For what saith Scripture? On a point of such eternal significance, because what you and I believe about justification is going to determine whether or not we spend eternity in hell or with God in heaven. On a question of such importance, we need for a stronger light than our own logic 
to lead us out of the maze of our pride and to lead us to God's eternal kingdom. But here is a question. How may I be right with God? We need to turn to Scripture as Paul did because it is the light that shines in a dark place. Not what I say, not what any other man says, but what Isaiah said. To the law and to the testimony. And then they speak not according to this word. It is because they, are, they, are, they have no dawn in them. No future. No life. So what does scripture say? Verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted or reckoned unto him for righteousness. Turn to, um, to Genesis 15. You may recall the context in which the statement was first made in the Old Testament of Abraham. Look at Genesis 15:1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham, Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? And then Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So do you see Abraham looking away from himself here? Looking away from his own weakness, his advanced age, Sarai's barrenness. He believed God. That's it. He believed what God had to say. By faith, Abraham believed God's promise even though he couldn't see it with his physical eyes. But by faith, he saw and he embraced it because he trusted the truth of God's word. He did solely on the fact that God had spoken. I can't see it. My past experience would belie what God has told me and would say, there is no way that this can come to pass. But God has spoken. And what God says is truer than anything in my experience and is truer than anything I see with my eyes. So by faith, looking away from his own works, looking away from his own merit, like Jesus said in John eight fifty six, Abraham saw my day and he was glad because he believed God's promise of mercy through his seed. He even looked past Isaac. He didn't exercise his faith once, but throughout his long and hard pilgrimage, Abraham believed what God had promised and it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. Now we need to be careful with that line there in verse 3. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. What was? Was it his faith? No, this doesn't mean that faith was somehow a work that was credited over to Abraham's account. 
Faith is an instrument. Faith is the means through which we receive God's promise and believe it. But faith is something God has to give us. It is nothing that we bring forward to the agreement or the arrangement. Paul said this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2, All men do not have faith. A very important little line particularly in our age of the church, that basically works on the opposite assumption that all men do have faith. So if we could just learn how to psychologically manipulate and give people the right reasons to believe, and then we will be kind of able to win them over to our way of religion. But the Holy Spirit says, all men do not have faith. Faith does not lie dormant in all men, just waiting to be quickened. No, it's not faith. It is what faith laid hold on that was imputed to Abraham. And what did faith lay hold on? It was God's gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Abraham took refuge in the mercy of God. Remember that earlier promise? I will be your God and you shall be my people. I will give you a land and I will make your name great. And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. Then later in chapter 15 of Genesis, Abraham lays out a sacrifice and splits the pieces in half. And God himself passes through the midst of them as if to say, I will keep my covenant with you, Abraham, or I will die. That is how sure my promise is to you. And Abraham believed it. And God imputed it to him in for righteousness. To say that righteousness was imputed to Abraham. A righteousness he did not have. A righteousness he had to believe and trust that God would fulfill his promise to him. Of course, totally excludes any consideration of our work. Abraham was considered to be by God and before God to be righteous. He was reckoned to be. He was counted to be righteous through a righteousness that he himself could not possess and could not perform. He saw ahead to Christ's day. Let's look at John chapter 8 again around verse 56. In our text in Romans, you see Paul saying, Abraham didn't look to his own works. And remember, he is our father. So how is it with him? It is with us. Was it his works? Was it his goodness? Was it his merit? Was it his circumcision? No, this took place before circumcision. That doesn't matter. That doesn't be considered in this at all. What was it that Abraham believed in? Or better, who was it? John eight fifty four. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom he says that he is your God, that you, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, 
I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I was the God who led Abraham. I was the sacrifice that passed through those flames. I was there on Mount Moriah. Do you remember what happened on Mount Moriah? After God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and gave him Isaac, God said, Abraham, I know how much you love your son, but I want you to go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And in Hebrews eleven seventeen, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which also he received him in a figure. What does that mean? Somehow on Mount Moriah, Abraham was lying down Isaac on the altar. But Abraham did not believe this to be the end. This is the promised seed after all. God has spoken. And remember who he saw. He saw the Christ that was coming. He didn't understand him obviously with the clarity we do. He didn't have the New Testament. But he knew he was a sinner. He, he lived in his father's house where there was idolatry. But Abraham was saved out of that by God. He knew he was, a, he was a wicked, ungodly man. But he saw the day of Christ coming. So when he laid out Isaac on that altar and he raised up that knife, he knew that even if it struck and killed his own son, God would raise Isaac up from the dead because he was the seed of the promise. And no matter what I see with my eyes, when God speaks, that defines reality. So I stopped asking questions. He says, I stopped doubting. I look at what God has promised. Abraham looked down the ages on the mountain and he saw Christ. He received Isaacs back as a type of Christ, raised from the dead, as it were, in that God provided an acceptable substitute. And this is why Abraham is the father of all who believe. Listen closely. Abraham shows us the way to be right with God. Is it through our works, our obedience, our feelings, our emotions, our pilgrimages, our baptism? How are we fundamentally made right with God and know that we have the title deed to everlasting life? And that we, when we stand before God, he is not going to cast us out as rebels and filthy sinners. How do we know this? Look at Abraham. What did Abraham do? He believed the promises of God. He didn't look at himself. In fact, he denounced himself. I'm a wicked man. He knew that he had lied he knew that he came from a family of idolaters, but he committed to trust God to do for him what he could not do for himself. 
I cannot make myself righteous. I cannot make myself clean. I must look to God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And this is all our righteousness too before God. And Abraham is the one who shows us the way. But now back to Romans 4. The Holy Spirit wants to drive this point home to us. Is it our obedience? Is it our faith that is somehow meritorious? Something that we bring? You know, God brings his promise. We bring our faith. God's promise is worth something. And our faith is worth something. And we just kind of put them together. And then we have the gospel. No. Faith is the gift that God gives through which he, which we look away from ourselves. I don't put any confidence in anything of myself. That's what we must say. I bring nothing to this union with God except my filth and my liability to punishment. God has come to me and given me a righteousness I don't possess. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.